much proof do you need to believe something is true? How much? You know, that, that seems to be a big question a lot of times. How much proof is enough proof? Because in, in witnessing to people, I've talked to people that, man, they, they kind of don't want to believe in God or, or Scripture until God makes a personal appearance right in front of them. And that, they're like, that's when I'll believe. That's the proof that I need. And I'm like, well, you know, if God's going to appear on command for you to believe, who's really God in that situation? And so, you know, we know God's not going to do that. But in order to believe, how much do you need? Our legal system in our country is supposed to be, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And it's that word reasonable in there. <laughs> That, that has to be defined by the individuals. Is it reasonable? Do you have enough evidence? Do you have enough proof that you can believe it with a clear conscience and, and be convinced that something is true? Well, today, we're going to look at what God is going to tell us, what Jesus tells us is kingdom proof. The proof that we are, in fact, children of God. The proof that we are living for his kingdom in this world. How do we know the difference between a person who is a kingdom citizen, a citizen of the kingdom of God, and a person who is of this world? Should there be a difference? Absolutely. It should be a night and day difference. But where do we measure it? What proof do we look for? That's the question for you today. And so we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit into Matthew 7, uh, verses 12 through 20. And some of this is going to be uh, familiar. And we're going to connect, again, a couple of spots in the sermon that are back-to-back. -back. And so I think Jesus expects us to connect them. But many times they don't get connected when we read it. And so starting in verse 12 of chapter 7 of Matthew, it says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So this starts... This, this little section of teaching starts in a place that we're very familiar with, right? What does it start with? What do we call it? The golden rule. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Treat others how you want to be treated. I mean, there's, there, there's so many ways, you know, the, the, the King James, do unto others, you know. But, but the idea here is Jesus tells us that one of the kingdom priorities and one of the proofs that we are going to see in our lives is how we treat other people. 
That should be what separates us. One of the key things that separates us from the world is how we treat other people. But if we think about the golden rule, though, we find that the golden rule is, in fact, proactive. It's not just avoid the negative. You know how many times have, have we said it, and you know our world could probably even hear it right now. If you can't say something nice, finish it. Don't say anything at all, right? The world would be pretty silent right now. Facebook would have, like, no feed. You'd log in, and it'd be just like, Somebody's eating some food, you know, that'd be it. Remember the days when it was like everybody's lunch? Man, we missed that, right? We complained about it then. We didn't know what we had. The golden rule is, is proactive. It's not just about avoiding the negative. He doesn't say don't treat people badly so they won't treat you badly. That's not what he said. What does he say? Do to others what you would have them do to you. What you want other people to, how you want other people to treat you, you actively treat them that way. Now, I don't know about you, but I see this then as a commandment. This is a commandment. Whatever we are told to do here, it's to do it with in mind of how do I want to be treated. That's what I do to other people. Now, he's already told us what? Don't get even. Don't get even with other people. No personal vengeance. That's not allowed. God will take care of that. You love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. So he's already taken personal vengeance and personal revenge off the table. But now he goes one step further, doesn't he? What is it? He says, you treat people how you want to be treated. You do to them what you want them to do to you. Now, a lot of people miss the heart of this commandment because they do think of it in terms of just avoiding the negative. Well, I don't want people to be mean to me, so I won't be mean to them. And we kind of stop right there, which that, that's a good beginning. I'm not saying that's not a, you know, that that's a bad thing. But I think Jesus intended for us to go much, much further with this. I mean, I want you to think, now, if he's already told us, pray for your enemy, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, and he says, look, if, if they strike you on the cheek, turn the other cheek, he's already talked about going beyond the natural with people who are against you in response to negative behaviors towards you. Now he crosses over into our positive behaviors toward other people. Don't you think that he's probably raising the bar on that as well? I mean, if the enemy is supposed to be loved and prayed for, and you go the extra mile to, to maintain a relationship with somebody that's even being negative towards you, now he's saying how you treat other people, it should be way up here. It should be up here. It should be bathed in truth, in godliness, in righteousness, in grace, and in love. That is who we are called to be at all times. And so what is it? He says, you treat other people. You do to other people what you wish that they would do to you. So what is it? You know what? What, what, what do we want deep down inside as human beings? What do we want? Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody. 
I don't care who you are. Everybody in this world wants to be loved. And so if we can say that is a universal thing that every one of us inside wants, then what is Jesus telling us on how we treat people? What should be the first thing that comes to mind? How can I love them? How can I genuinely love them and let them know that they are valued, that they are accepted, that, they, that, that God loves them? That should be at the forefront of, of every interaction that we have is seeing the human dignity, the, the worth in every person and giving them genuine love. Now, is that happening in our world right now? No. As Paul said earlier, man, it, it, it's people are just at each other right now. And you know, the world is going to world. Okay, that stuff's always going to happen. I mean, there's always going to be a war to fight. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something in the world for us to get upset over. There's always going to be that there. So rather than for us waiting for things to get figured out and say, you know what, when when this isn't like this, then I'll do this. No, Jesus did it right then. And everywhere Jesus went, they hated him. There were people who loved him. There were people that hated him. You know what you almost couldn't be with Jesus was indifferent. You were either all in or you wanted to kill him. It was one or the other. Does that sound like today? Yeah, you're either all in or you're all out. I mean, it's one or the other. That's human nature. And Jesus says in his kingdom, because that's what this whole sermon is about. This whole sermon on the mount is about his kingdom and how things will work and how his people will, will exist in this world. And what the truth really is, he says his people are going to be characterized by how they treat other people, how they love them. And so deep down inside, we want to be loved. You know what we also want? I mean, we really deep down, we'll, it'll get covered up and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of skirt it sometimes when it's uncomfortable, but we really do deep down want truth spoken to us, right? We want to know. Now, we don't want it to be, you know, something that people, you know, a blunt instrument for them to attack us with constantly. But none of us likes being lied to. And we, even if it's in the positive, if somebody's flattering us, we still don't like it. Not when we find out that they didn't mean it. We may like it in the moment. It's like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And then we find out that they didn't mean it. And we're like, hey, they said really nice things. That hurts my feelings. You know, we don't like it. And so deep down, we want truth spoken to us. So what is it we're called to do? Speak truth. Now we're called to love them first and speak truth at the same time. Now, is that going to be controversial? Yeah, it was with Jesus. There were people who gasped at what he said, and there were people who accepted what he said, that there was never really an in-between. And yet all of us wants that, okay? You know what else we want? We want people to support us. We want to be accepted. And I know you got some loners out there that's like, I don't need anyone. Yeah, you do. You're lying to yourself. You may not need a lot of people, but you need people. You know why? Because God created all of us to be in relationship with other people. And so we need that acceptance. And so what can we do? We can go ahead and be that person that tries to reach out and say, you know what, I'm here. If you need a friend, I'm here. You know what? Let's go, let's, let's go over and get some coffee somewhere. Let's, let's go over to the Sonic and get, 
get a big old huge drink that we shouldn't drink, but we're going to anyway. On me. Because we all need that deep inside. And God is calling us to be proactive in making these things happen in our world. Not just reactive to the world. He's already said, you don't get to be reactive because if we're reactive, what's going to happen? We're going to want to take vengeance. We're going to want to get even with people, how they treat us. We're going to whatever. And he said, no, you don't get to do that. You pray for your enemy. You love them. Pray for those that persecute you. Now, what you do is go be proactive in being a force for good in the lives of other people. Be proactive about it. Now, I want you to listen. Romans 12, 9, and 10 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That means hate it. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. You see, there's nothing reactive about that verse. That verse, when he says, outdo one another, that is being proactive and seeking, how can I lift up other people in my life? How can I, how can I hold them up? How can, I, how can I show them that they matter? And I, I love this because, you know, in legalism, what we do is we, we compare ourselves with each other as to who's better right? Who's, who's more righteous? Who's, who's following the rules better? And we want to rank everybody. But what, is, what does Paul say right here? He says, outdo and showing honor. So that means our competition is not in who's better, but in who can lift the other up higher. Now that's a competition I'd like to be a part of. Think about what our world would look like if we really did, just our church in this room right here, if we genuinely adopted this stance of outdo one another in showing honor to each other. That means we're to be in competition with each other in who can be the better person. Who can lift the other up higher? Who can compliment the most? Who can be the most encouraging? Who can be the most loving towards other people? He says outdo one another in showing honor to each other. You see, what that is, is Paul's showing us another way of talking about the golden rule. The golden rule is what? Do to others, proactively do to others what you want them to do to you. Do you want them to honor you as a human being? Yeah. So guess what? Do it. And Paul says, be be all in with it. Outdo one another in doing that. But make sure the love is genuine. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. And honor one another. It's not a difficult formula. So what is it that gets in the way of this? It's our own sin and selfishness. It really is. There's no other excuse for this. It's our own sin and selfishness. Because the... The golden rule is, is not that complex. Treat others how you want to be treated. Now, there's something for you all to remember. You're going to remember this forever from now, okay? Where is the golden rule located in Scripture? Matthew what? 7, 12. Why? Because you use it seven days a year, 12 months a year. Seven days a week. I'll say that right. Seven days a week, 12 months a year. Now you'll really remember it. You're like, he's the one that messed it up. 
Matthew 7, 12. Seven days a week, 12 months a year. Treat others how you want to be treated. And when we do this, we step into, and this is what's amazing, when we do this, we step into our purpose with God. We step into His empowerment. We step into His blessing and His will and, and, and everything that comes with it. You see, in, in, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works. That, that if we're not doing good works, we're not actively obeying God. We're not doing what He wants us to do. So His blessing, His power, will not be as present in our lives. Now, it's not legalistic of you better do this, check this box, and then God responds. It's more, think of it as, as plugging into the power source. When we're rejecting God's ways and we're living in sin, we are separating ourselves from the very power source that gives us purpose, that gives us fulfillment, that gives us the ability to do what God wants us to do. But when we actively obey Him, we are connecting ourselves to that power. We're connecting ourselves to Him and thus entering into the life that he has for us. And that is his purpose. Now, do not confuse this work that I'm talking about, this being proactive, because look, being proactive means effort. It just does. It is effort. It is work. It's something we have to proactively take upon ourselves and do. And God expects us to do that. But don't confuse that for salvation. We are saved by grace, through faith, it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We don't earn salvation, but when we are saved, we are saved to good works. So the works begin after we're saved, and that is God's purpose for us. And so if we get saved, and then we don't start obeying God, we're, we're actually in rebellion to the very thing we were just saved from, in two. And it starts, what Jesus tells us, with how we treat other people. We have to be proactive. And so what this is pointing towards is that radical generosity that I've already, we've already spoken about. A, a radical generosity, and, and I mean that. It, it sounds you know, strange in our culture, but being radically generous with your encouragement, with your love, with your acceptance... Now, this isn't acceptance of sin. It says what? Abhor what's evil, cling to what's good, but love one another. This is possible. In Ecclesiastes 11, 1, 2, we have a, a verse that tells us about being generous to others and treating others the way we want to be treated. And it sounds a little strange, but it really makes sense. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, the idea right there is be generous. And as you're generous in life, one day it's going to come back to you. And he says, you don't know when. Okay, it says you will find it after many days. That, that what you sow in life, you're going to reap later on. And he who refreshes others, as Scripture says, will himself be refreshed. Proverbs says, he who lends to the poor, he who gives to the poor, lends to God, he will be repaid in full. 
What is this idea that God's saying, look, I am watching. And if you will be this person who, who lives by grace, who shows love to everybody that they can. Now, we're all going to be imperfect in it, but being imperfect in it is not an excuse for not doing it. Okay? Being imperfect is not an excuse for not doing it. We do it however imperfectly we can, and we continue to walk in obedience and in faith with, with Jesus Christ into this. But God is paying attention. He says, you do this. You throw it out there into the world. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It will come back around. Now, that's not why we do it. <laughs> okay, if we get into, you know, well, I was nice to them and they weren't nice to me, so it didn't work. Look, if, if that's we're expecting it to come back immediately, then we've done it for the wrong reason. But what God is saying is that I am watching. And in time, it will come back to you. It will happen. And so Jesus tells us this as a foundation now. He says, you treat other, people's like, other people like this. Because then he says, because there are only two paths in life. And they're as different as night and day. There are only two paths. Listen again to, to what he says, Okay. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's not a third way here. Jesus says there are two ways right here. There's one way that's easy, and a whole lot of people go that way. And there's a way that's difficult, and very few go that way. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. And notice where he started this with treat other people how you want to be treated. And then he says, oh, and by the way, that path, it's, it's a difficult one. That's the hard one. Now, can, can anybody agree with that? That is the hard way. It's easy to get on Facebook and rail on people. It's easy to think everybody who disagrees with me is stupid. It just is. That's easy. What's hard is to look through the clutter and through the noise and see, look, on the other end of this are people that are loved by God, and they need God, and I need God, so how about we just focus on God? And if we will all just show each other a little more grace in life, and focus together on looking towards Jesus. I'm not saying all the problems disappear, but you know what? We just we're able to handle it a lot better. We're able to get through it a lot better. Because we're leaning and supporting each other in this now instead of looking for our little corner of I'm right. And Jesus warns us on this. You know, he's told us, "Hey, you treat other people how you want to be treated because there's an easy path that leads to destruction, and there's a difficult path that leads to life. And his people will take the hard road. Okay? His people will take the difficult path. That's what he's saying. Those who find it are few, but, but he says, enter. It's a command again. Enter by the narrow gate. You go this other way. You rise above this. But what he's saying is that we have to be intentional about doing it. We're not going to accidentally take the narrow road. 
Do you realize that? You're not going to accidentally obey God. We're not going to one day wake up and go through life and like, wow, God, I completely pleased you, and I didn't mean to. It was an accident, and I'm really glad I did. It's not going to happen. See, what he's saying is that the broad, wide road, there's plenty of room for, for all of us to do exactly what we want, how we want, when we want, whether we want to or not. It's all up to us, and there's plenty of room for wandering and expressing yourself and making it all, you know, whatever you want it to be. And that's what Jesus says most people go down that path because it's easy. It's natural. You know, given the choice, if you can drive on a paved road or a pothole dirt road, what are you going to choose? I'd just assume drive on the paved road myself. Except Jesus says in life, that's a warning sign. If it's going that easily for you and, and, and you just flowing along with the culture... Something's wrong, and this is a warning that he's giving because it's going to feel like you're fitting in. It's going to feel right as far as the culture around us, and, and people are going to, going to agree with your decisions at large. You're going to feel justified in what you're doing, and in the end, it's going to be wrong. And so Jesus warns us that we gotta, we got to take the difficult road, which means more effort, which means we actually have to try harder than unbelievers in this world. Our effort level is going to be greater. What we have to persevere through is going to be greater than what unbelievers will have to deal with. And in fact, the author of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 12, 14, it says, strive for peace with everyone. Now, the word strive, what does that mean? Is that effort? That's a lot of effort. Striving is effort. Striving is that, you know, you don't accidentally strive for excellence in life, right? Striving is intentional, focused effort. Strive for peace with everyone and strive, okay, and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So he gives us two areas to work on in life where, where our effort is to be focused on. And what is it? Our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. Haven't we heard that before? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, strive for peace with everyone. What is that? Love your neighbor. Treat them how you want to be treated. Do to them as you would have them do unto you. And strive for holiness which is what's going on in my own heart, in my own mind, and he says, without which, no one will see the Lord. Now, of course, the gateway to holiness, of course, is salvation in Jesus Christ. None of us is going to be good enough to have holiness in our lives apart from him. It starts with faith in him. And if you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, you will never, ever, ever, ever have the holiness required to see God. It starts by admitting we are not holy and we have to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, put our faith in Him, be baptized, and we are saved. Then we can start that striving and working as, as we've been talking about. And so, 
He says, strive for peace with everyone. And then he gives us one, one more warning. And I find this one really interesting. Because not only do we have to watch out for, you know, going along with the outside culture, but now he says on this journey, we got to be cautious because he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Hmm. Beware false prophets. So we start up here with treat others how you want to be treated. And he says, oh, and by the way, that's going to be the hard path, and you're going to have to make choices in life that are going to get you to treat others how you want to be treated, to to be able to do that, and it's not going to be popular. And then as that journey continues, oh, yeah, you're going to have to learn to look out for the frauds that are going to come into your life. And Jesus meant it. This is such an important passage Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Hmm. Ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. What's he saying? He's telling us they're going to look the part. They're going to talk the part. They're going to to have something about them that's, that's going to be attractive. They're going to seem to have answers. And they're going to be wrong. And he says, you will be able to recognize them, but it's not going to be immediately. It's going to take some time. What does he say? He says, you'll know them by their fruits. Well, fruits are the products of their life. Okay, not just their products of ministry, but their product in life. What kind of person are they? What follows them around? What kind of relationships do they have? Because these false gospels are real. You read the rest of the New Testament. These false prophets are real. As you read the rest of the New Testament, they're always warning about it. Paul warns about it. Peter warns about it. John warns about it. They always seem to come back to this idea of like, whoever's teaching you this wrong stuff, God's going to deal with them. You focus on truth. And they're always there. John says they, they, they you know, went out from us, but they weren't among us. They weren't one of us. That they're always going to be within the church, these people who don't believe the gospel, but have figured out a way to profit from it. And they stir up trouble and they, 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 they destroy people along the way. And I'm not exaggerating there. They destroy people along the way. The very people that God has said love them, they will abuse them. That is what false prophets do, okay? They build their own kingdoms. They're focused on their own egos, their own following, rather than pointing people to Jesus. People are a means to an end for false prophets. But Jesus said what? People were the end. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. To love them and save them was the goal. But for a false prophet, people 
are just a means to their own glory. And so he says, watch for their fruits, because this is what will repeatedly come out of their lives. And he used the word ravenous to describe them. The word in the original Greek means pertaining to being viciously destructive. Viciously destructive. You want to see viciously destructive, get in between a false prophet and their glory and watch what happens. They come unglued. A side of them, the, the grace is suddenly out of the picture and it's, they, they become angry and very mean-spirited and somehow make you feel like it's your fault that they're, they feel like that. And Jesus says, beware of these people. Beware of these people. You know, one of the tests that I've kind of learned to, to, to appreciate, I, I heard it and, and I believed it in seminary, but as I've gone through now almost 20 years of, of pastoral ministry, I've come to appreciate the saying more and more and more. And there was, a, I forget even who said it to me, but they said, you know what, your role as a pastor is preach the gospel and be forgotten. Spend a lifetime preaching the gospel and then be forgotten. You know why? Because it's not about me. It's about him. And I don't care if anybody remembers my name. I want them to know the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. And what I've seen now in my time in ministry is the false prophets are those who can't do that. They can't preach the gospel and be forgotten. You know why? Because it's about their legacy. It's about their kingdom. And Jesus said, beware. He said, watch out for this. Because they will do, he called them ravenous wolves for a reason, because they will do tremendous damage to his church and to you personally. And so he says, beware of it. Just beware. Be ready. It's going to happen at different times. They're going to be present. And so what do we do? What is our answer for this? For all of it, okay? The answer for all of it, for treating others how we want to be treated, for taking the narrow path and knowing that we're taking the narrow path and, and being aware and, and cautious of false prophets, what we do is prioritize healthy fruit in our lives. What did Jesus say? He, he said, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And he says, you'll know them by their fruits. And so we have to learn to prioritize the healthy fruit. And when we get the healthy fruit confused with worldly standards, that's when everything gets messed up. And I mean, that's when everything gets confused and messed up. When, when, when churches start to prioritize building their own kingdom and attendance over discipleship, we have a problem. When we start to, to prioritize leadership over discipleship and obedience to Jesus, we have a problem. We have to prioritize the fruit that God has told us to prioritize. And that's in all arenas. It doesn't matter if you're a leader, a volunteer, just a, a casual church attender. It doesn't matter where you're at. The fruit that God has said is healthy should be the thing that all of us is striving for. 
that fruit should be what we should look to characterize everything that we do. From a business meeting to a worship service, it shouldn't matter. Because we know we're honoring God when the fruit is present. Because we can't produce this fruit on our own. It's only produced through the Spirit's work within us. And so if we're walking with God, then what, what, what appears? The healthy fruit. And so if our church life is characterized by, by strife and division and fighting and infighting and backbiting, guess what? That's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the, fr- the works of the flesh. Or if our personal life, if we're always angry. You ever met someone who's just always angry? And I mean it, they're just a malcontent. They're just angry at everything all the time. And I'm always like, how can you be that angry? I just, is nothing good in your life ever? Let me tell you about Jesus. Because he died for you and you have a blessing in him. And you know what, even if you're in a difficult time, it doesn't mean everything in the world is horrible. And so we prioritize healthy fruit in our own lives and in the culture that we help create. Because we create a church culture here, all of us together. We create a culture of what we want at Grace Family Fellowship. And so we really need to prioritize the right things, right? And so what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This should describe our culture. This should describe our temperaments. Now, are we going to fail in it? Yeah, absolutely. That's why we forgive. That's why we don't seek vengeance. (laughs) That's why we don't try to get even. Because you know what happens in a church when people try to get even? It just escalates, and it keeps escalating until what? A church split, church dies, something happens. I mean, that's just what happens. Or we can stop it right at the beginning as somebody said something offensive, and you're like, yeah, you know what? Hey, did you mean that? No, I didn't mean I'm sorry. Okay, guess what? It's over. Let's forgive, and let's move on. So we can either stop it up front and, and focus on healthy fruit, or we keep escalating until something explodes, But this fruit is only produced by the Spirit of God. We cannot consistently generate it on our own. We may force ourselves to be, you know, kind to somebody for a while, but if we don't genuinely love them, we're eventually going to be unkind. Agreed? You're eventually, I mean, it's just, we can only maintain these kind of things for so long under our own strength. But when we're walking with God, it becomes surprisingly easy. Because His Spirit provides what's necessary for it. And so, I want to close with this. Your life is the proof that you walk in the truth. That's what kingdom proof is. The the proof that people need to believe is to see the life transformation that, that people have because they walk with Jesus. It's not about winning an intellectual battle. It's not about being able to argue. And yet, yes, we need to be informed. We need to understand our faith. But the, the, the core truth of what we do as the people of God, the proof that our faith is real, is in how we treat other people. At the end of the day, Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Simple to say, 
but it's the narrow, difficult path to walk. So let's show grace to each other. Let's build his kingdom together. Let's love one another. Let's love any and every visitor that walks in that door. Okay, I want them to walk in and feel at home, amen? I want them to walk in and say, I have never been loved like that in my life. I didn't know what it was to be a part of a loving community till I went to Grace Family. I understand the name now, Grace Family, because, man, they've shown me so much grace, and I'm a part of the family, but I want a fellowship. That's who we got to be.